when I was growing up, if I really, really wanted to make sure someone would uphold their end of an agreement, I would demand we make a pinky promise. <laughs> Did anyone else do this? Yes, if I wanted to make sure that they would uphold their end of a lunchtime food swap situation or follow through on an agreement to share a tetherball court, a pinky promise was the way to go. Apparently, this was not a practice unique to my Pacific Northwest playground. As I was preparing for this sermon, I found a definition of a pinky promise in an 1877 glossary. Wow. The entry reads, a very common term in New York, especially among small children who, when making a bargain with each other, are accustomed to confirm it by interlocking the little finger of each other's right hands and repeating the following. Pinky, pinky, bow, bell, whoever tells a lie will sink down to the bad place and never rise again. <laughs> what? will sink down to the bad place and never rise again? Whoa, get out, yes. Now, I was horrified like you all were when I first read this, but then I realized I did commonly use another phrase interchangeably with a pinky promise, and maybe you know this one too. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, whoa. From an early age, we are taught to put more faith in a promise that comes with the threat of punishment. We stick out our pinkies and tell ourselves that this will make our friend stick to the agreement. This desire for false security stays with us as we grow up and even carries over into our relationships with God or at least it did for Abram in our scripture reading this morning. In our reading from Genesis, we hear God promising Abram, you don't have to be afraid, I've got you. I'll protect you, I'll reward you, and not only you, but your descendants. Abram isn't so sure. He asks God to be more clear. He questions God on the promises God has made before. God patiently clarifies, taking Abram by the hand, leading him outside. I picture God wrapping an arm around Abram to warm him against the chilly night. No, Abram, I've got you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Now, God has made this promise before, saying Abram's descendants would be as numerous as dust in the desert. And while stars and dust are made of the same stuff, stars must have been a little more reassuring because Abram believes for a moment before he asks again. But God, how can I know you will fulfill your promises? And this is when God makes the ancient equivalent of a pinky promise. The ritual God and Abram take part in may sound oddly specific to us today, but it would have been far more familiar to its ancient audience. While we often think of covenant as being a softer word for contract or some kind of agreement between two parties, covenant of Abram's time would have had a much more specific meaning. A covenant was a contract between two political parties 
that was sealed by oaths and curses. When someone entered into a covenant with another, they would pronounce curses on themselves if they broke the agreement. In fact, the word for make a covenant in Hebrew is cut or karat. This is because the two parties would cut apart a living animal and walk between the bleeding pieces proclaiming something like, so may this happen to me and more if I break the words of this covenant. Modern translation, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. (laughs) As we hear this story, perhaps the most disturbing part is not even what we hear or imagine in the narrative itself, but what is silent and silenced. The women who are expected to birth and raise these generations, silenced. The people whose land is being promised, silenced. The people who are not included in this promise of protection, silenced. Silenced in the name of covenant and promise. Why would God enter into a covenant like this with Abram? It drips of the blood of empire. It reeks of centuries of violent suppression. But what if this points us more towards the humanity of Abram than the nature of God? Abram and his people had suffered under oppressive rule of empire after empire. They had been forced to assimilate these practices of covenant into their ways of being and their ways of life. Musa Dubé is a post-colonial theorist, feminist theologian, and scholar at the University of Botswana, and she looks at the relationship between patriarchy and imperialism. She writes, often the colonized are forced to collaborate with the colonizing powers at various stages of their suppression. They begin to advance the agendas of the oppressor and proclaim their superiority by choice or by the mere fact of living under the ruling institutions of the colonized. Just as we are socialized as children into making pinky promises, Abram and the people who carried his stories had no reason to expect anything different from a covenant with God. The relationship Abram thought was possible with God was shaped by his relationship with empire. And our relationships with God are shaped by our allegiances to empire as well. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when men make agreements about women's bodies and reproductive rights. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when people of power and privilege make agreements about the lands that have been inhabited by other peoples for centuries. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when some people claim special relationship with God and weaponize it against other children of God. We have to be clear, this covenant is used to justify the coming genocide of the Canaanites, a story that lives on in our genocide of indigenous peoples. This story, this covenant, is what pits Sarah and against Hagar, a story that womanists like Dolores Williams have used as an ancient example, the relationship between black women and white women in the U.S. context. 
this covenant is used as the foundation for white supremacist terrorism births in the United States and exported around the globe. We may have the sensibilities to cringe and critique a covenant made between a powerful ancient patriarch and his God. We may feel and we should feel some pride in ensuring the God of our scripture reading is a woman's voice. But what is harder to admit is that much of what we name as violent and oppressive in the scripture passage is still alive and well today. What happens when a feminine divine voice only obscures the patriarchy and imperialism built into our image of God? Our hearts are breaking and our world is hurting because of the ways we continue to make these same covenants of empire again and again. Our work must go deeper. In the wake of Black History Month and, and in the midst of Women's History Month, we must remember covenants based on fear or scarcity will result in violence and oppression. So maybe the question isn't just, why would God enter into that kind of covenant with Abram? This question requires us to ask how much of that bloody covenant is God and how much of it is Abram's theological interpretation. Here at Middle, we can say what needs to be said about this scripture passage. Anything that promotes the violence and oppression of God's beloved creation is not of God. And yet, our work must go deeper. For this story holds more for us than just empire. God's longing to be in relationship with us is not a symbol of our perfection. God's faithfulness to us is not a symbol of our superiority. God desires to be in and with all of creation, and that includes us, as well as those we may silence. The covenant is not the end, but a beginning. God comes to us in the ways we can see, making the covenants we can understand today in the hopes of calling us into a new way of being tomorrow. God is asking to be with us in relationship right in this moment, right in this place, so we may grow ever closer to God's divine vision for our lives. God is calling us into covenants of transformation. These covenants of transformation between God and people, and they are also between, they are the blueprint for the relationships we are called to create amongst ourselves. I grew up in a small United Church of Christ church just outside of Seattle, Washington, and most weeks my pastor's welcome to the congregation would include this assurance. God loves us exactly the way we are. And God loves us so much, she's not going to let us stay that way. I'll say it again. God loves us so much that she's not going to let us stay the way we are. This holy contradiction, this sacred promise, is alive in the promise God made to Abram and throughout the covenants of the scriptures. To be loved and to be changed by that love is the work of the church. 
to be loved and to be stretched by that love is the work of our community. To be loved and to be transformed by that love is the work we are doing here at Middle. Many of us are trying on new covenants during Lent, whether we give up something like sweets or social media or add something like a gratitude or devotional practice. We are trying on a new way of being in closer relationship with God. We are preparing to be the Easter people and knowing that we will never fully arrive. God loves us exactly as we are. And she loves us so much that she is inviting us into new, deeper relationship. Our welcome song here at Middle, the song that we sing to new members, tells a story of unconditional welcome. We welcome you just as you are, as you come through that door, we welcome you. So many of the people I've had the blessing to get to know during my time here at Middle are here because they, we, have been welcomed. When other churches would say that my call is not relevant, my work not ordainable because of who I love, Middle says I am welcomed. Mm -hmm. When other churches would create limits and stipulations on who this abundance is for, Middle says, come one and all. When other churches might try and clean up, leave out, skim over the tough, messy parts of movement building, Middle says, bring it on. God loves us exactly as we are, and she loves us so much. She knows we can build a world much more loving and just than the one we have right now. We live in a world stacked with empire on empire on empire, and we know that doesn't keep God from breaking in and loving us anyways. God desperately wants to build covenants of transformation with us, through us. Are we ready? Jackie often says that we need to grow up our faith, and our passage today invites us to continue growing up our covenants as well. The childhood contracts of pinky promises just don't leave room for the abundance of imagination, liberation, and new life that God has in store for us all. Thanks be to God. Thank